for it today because this will either be Lou and I's finest hour or we're going to be crying in the corner by the time it's all said and done. I'm just about ready to. (laughs) We have been paying too much attention to what the world is doing and how things are functioning within it and that's never a good idea. So what we are going to attempt to do now is something that might actually be useful and productive. We are going to continue our our march, our jaunt, our leisurely stroll through the doctrine of soteriology. And yes, we're doubling back somewhat because we started with the Ordo Salutis. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to double back into some of the aspects of the Ordo. Mm -hmm. We skipped doing that last time because we went right into assurance because I think it's important to make sure we covered that topic and understand the, the extent of what salvation is. Now that you understand that extent, we can kind of begin to look back and see what each piece does as it works through. So today's big fancy theological word of the day is, dun-da-da-dun, Lou? Justification. Justification. Yeah. What, huh? Exactly. Legal term. Legal terminology applied here to the gospel, Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14, will kind of be our jumping off point. Good passage. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, that's God, made you alive together with him, that's Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, yes, I did a little bit of editing and explanation on the fly. I thought it was necessary. God is the one who's doing this work, but it is a work that is being done because of the work of Christ. So he, God, has made you alive together with him who is Christ. Don't get hung up on your Old Testament terminology. It's helpful. You were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You're like, "Well, well, I was circumcised when I was a kid. I don't care. And neither does this passage. We're talking about the separation from righteousness that is demonstrated by the right understanding and use of the law. So you were dead in your transgressions. You were uncircumcised, even if you were circumcised, because in your sin, you have been separated from the blessings and communion, blessings of and communion with God. Does that make sense thus far? Right. I mean, you know, Paul, he, he always talks about a physical aspect of the law and a spiritual aspect of the law. And I think he's trying to draw upon the things that a person might have understood, you know, the audience to whom he was writing to in Colossae. So, I mean, that's really important for us to understand is that there's aspects of the law that are physical in nature, but they all point to a spiritual aspect that we need to understand. Exactly. So, just in case you want to argue with me on this point... What do you mean I was dead in my transgressions? Psalm 14. (laughs) The fool has said there in his heart there is no God. So all the people who deny God are foolish. Foolish. Mm. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable abominable deeds. Mm. There is no one who does good. Now, I'm, I'm not an expert on many things. 
but I think I'm an expert on no one being none. None. Zero. That Zilch. includes you and me, right? Yeah, yeah you, you, me, the man on the moon, you name them, we got them in this. I think that's, that's an important distinction because it is. a lot of people look at Christians and they think, oh, you guys think you're higher and mightier than everybody. And if, if a person rightly understands who they are in Christ and what they're capable of doing, the depravity that, that, that lives inside of us, if we don't follow the scriptures, then we think we're all good. When there the Bible go. says we're not, nobody does good, none. None. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, <laughs> and they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Wow. Pin drop. Yeah, zip. You can hear Zilch. It. Nada. Zero. You, now you got you, nothing. No one. Paul quotes this in Romans, making his same point. Yeah. Um, go read Romans 3. It will do you good. You'll see this exact rundown, how Paul goes all the way through, starting around, what, verse 10 or so, and basically laying out that you, 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 and you over there are all dead in your sins. Not some of you, all of you. Right. But while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is your Romans 5. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. Like, you'd think about it, like, he's a good guy. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, this is the work because this was always the work. Dive back into your Old Testament, your Isaiah 53, Psalm 2, Deuteronomy 18. We're looking for what? A priest who knows God face to face. We're looking for a suffering servant who will give of himself. We're looking for one who is forsaken of God. That's um, in reverse order. That's Deuteronomy 18, Isaiah 53, and Psalm 2. We are looking for the ones who are for the one who is fulfilling all of these things. Hence, when you get to the New Testament, Jesus starts checking off boxes here. Yeah. God has planned. God has promised. And now based on that work, you end up with what? I think like things like 1 Timothy 1.15. It's a trustworthy statement, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Wow. This is what it is. You were dead in the transgressions. So you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him. Now, how for he do that? Because that's the next question, right? So I was dead, but now I'm alive. Like, did, did God just sprinkle some magic pixie dust? Did we do the bippity-boppity-boo? And there you go, and you're good? No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Having forgiven us all our transgressions. Well, how does that work out? This is where the work of Jesus makes sense. 2 Corinthians 5. Yeah. He made him. So God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for who? On our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Yeah. See, Jesus, this is where your justification comes in. You have been moved from death to life. You have been moved from guilty to not guilty because the penalty due you for your sin has now been paid by Christ. So God has removed it from your account, placed it upon Christ's account, Christ had the audacity to climb out of the tomb, demonstrating that it was an invalid charge, and now the charges are dismissed. Good legal definition? Yeah. So far, so good? So far, so good. 
Paul expounds on this in Galatians. As many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. James would agree with this. I don't remember where in the book of James. It's somewhere in the first three chapters. Read the book of James. It will do you do well. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it says the same thing. If you break one commandment, you have broken the commandments. Right. So you this is this is what I mean. Paul's trying to explain to people who are trying to justify themselves yes. by works of the law, and he's telling them you can't do it. You if you broke one, you broke the whole thing. You you are not capable of doing it. I'm going to quote the great theologian Chris Rock on this. Okay, Chris Rock. Yes, because this is this is one of his his things. He goes. You know, it does you you can't just you know try to balance your stuff out. It's not like you get up to heaven and go, well, I killed a bunch of kids, but I ate right. <laughs> <laughs> See, it sounds ridiculous. Oh You're like, you know, you you know, I, I avoided pork and shellfish. Forget all the bodies buried in my backyard. Yeah, no, yeah. you're guilty. You're guilty. Likewise, you don't get up there and go, "Hey, I didn't kill anybody." You know, that's a common theme. But I, I am, I'm, I'm. You know, maybe what I did was bad. But did you see that other guy? Exactly. You know, they always want to point the finger outside of that. But you're not going to be judged for that other person's behavior. See, there it is. What's the standard of righteousness? This is always the problem that we run into. The standard of righteousness is not me, you, or the man on the moon. No. The standard of righteousness is God. God himself, and his the word. the problem with that is, go back and listen to past episodes on the attributes of God. Our starting point is what? God is Holy, Holy, perfect, righteous, just, good. You name the adjective, he possesses it. Eternal. So in that regards, we're doomed. Yeah. We are, we are Charlie Brown. We are doomed. Or is that Linus? Oh, it's in the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Watch the Great I Pumpkin, can't Charlie remember Brown. That it one, will but do you good. <laughs> I'm thinking of it now. No, that is Linus in the pumpkin it, patch. Yeah. Oh no, I said if I'm doomed. My kids watch that every year, like on loop at Halloween time. So I, it's, it's embedded it's in my brain. Huh? It's kind of like Barney was for me. Yeah, it's just there. Oh. So back to Galatians three. As many are, as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, "Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them." Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. That's a quote of Habakkuk. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Meaning, if your hope is in Leviticus, you don't get to the pearly gates and go, hey, I didn't kill anybody, I didn't sleep with anybody's wife. Yeah, but you ate the camel. That's a bad one. You know, (laughs) pull the lever, shoot opens up, and you go down to the other place. if If your trust is in the law, the law will beat you like a redheaded rented step mule. Nice. There you go. Yeah, I think we forget that the law, it, it, that it has certain functions in, in, in our life. I mean, mm-hmm. it tells us how incapable that we are of, of keeping it. It shows us the righteousness of God. But it also it restrains evil in our society. Yes, and all of I those mean, things are good. Right. But here, the way Paul is using this, he's pointing out it. If your hope is in the law, right. you are hopeless. If you want a good example of this, read the Pilgrim's Progress. Right. Um, Christian walking on the celestial highway or on the King's Highway to the celestial city, overcomes a bunch of things, and all of a sudden he's walking down the road, and this person comes out of nowhere and runs him over. And just like knocks him to the ground and, you know, sends him for a loop and he gets up. And as soon as he gets up and dusts himself off, the same guy comes back and plows him again. And this happens about three or four times before you find out that the person who's doing this is Moses. Uh. 
Right. And what it's a recommend, what it's a demonstration of is if you're trusting in yourself and you're walking the highway, Moses will accuse you and knock you off the path. Right. Moses representing the law. Right. There is no justification in the law. Right. Your justification is in God revealed in Christ. Amen. Doesn't mean the law is bad. Paul would tell you in Romans uh, 7, the law is good. Uh, the commandment holy is holy. Mm-hmm. It, is, it serves its yep. purpose. And he would continue, and he'll go on to explain that purpose at the end of uh, Galatians 3 here. We're not reading that right now. But it is good. But if it is your basis, right. your righteousness unto salvation, you're doomed. Christ, rather, redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's the cross. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This is how this works. Christ has paid the penalty due us when we were guilty. He has taken the reproach, the shame, the penalty, the punishment, whatever else you can come up with. He has brought it upon himself. Therefore, you are declared not guilty. Not because you are not guilty, but because Christ is not guilty. You are in him. So you are, let me make sure I get my definitions right. You are positionally not guilty, although you are actually Guilty. Yeah, I was just going to say positionally because <laughs> I, I thought you were going there. But yeah, going to make sure. I, I always, I always want to try to mix those up in my brain, so I, I always got to slow down right. and make sure I catch that. Now, so what? This this takes us back to the order of salvation, too. Yes. I mean, you you can't think that anything that a dead person is doing can be good. We just got done reading that. We've all sinned. There's nobody that does anything good. I don't know. Dead people in the zombie movies occasionally eat the right guy. That's kind well, of good. Okay, I got, you got me there. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to me to find the loophole in the you analogy. Got the loophole. But other than zombie movies, you're just, right. I'm Dead just people saying do nothing. I mean, useful. we we look at our, our our salvation and and how we find ourselves to be justified, and and what we're not saying is that God's law is 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 corrupt and we shouldn't do it. But what we're saying is it's not what saves us. Exactly. And, and we have to understand exactly. that because no. then we, 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 we sidestep and we think that we can do it on our own. We don't need Jesus. We and do. if you think you can do it on your own, you are Linus in the pumpkin patch. You You're can. doomed. That's going to be my word of the day. You're doomed. doomed. So what is the practical effect of this? Luke 4, what Jesus promised. Quoting Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set free those who are oppressed, and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And if that's too vague for you, then Paul, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is the practical outwork. Jesus promised this as well in his, uh, in his monologue in John 8. If the Son makes you free... You will be free indeed. indeed. So the practical outwork of this is because Christ has borne your penalty, you now go into the courtroom of God, be that when he returns to judgment or he calls you home. And you are declared not guilty. Not because of any good that was in you, but because of the good that was in Christ. Not because you have been able to scrounge up enough coins to bribe the judge or that you have been able to pay whatever fine was due, but because the penalty, which is death, was paid by 
Christ. Therefore, you are not guilty. You are justified. Justified. Just just so we recognize this, though, you know, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he says, you, you... you neglect the weightier matters of the law, which is justice, faithful, faithfulness, and, and, and um, that's what we're talking about. So in the provisions of God's word, his law, there's mercy, there's justice, and, and, and yes, there's got to be some faithfulness, but um, the justification that we have is, is a mercy that God gives us in Christ. And that's the thing that we, we lose so often. You're good. Lose making faces because I'm moving his microphone. So if you hear anything random in the background, that's my fault. There we go. Just trying to make sure we have everything set up right. See, I'm doing triple duty. I'm, I'm talking. I'm running sound. I'm running a computer. I'm, I'm amazed I have brain cells functioning at this point. So there we go. Now, what's the argument that we're – what's the thing we're arguing against here? And this is the warning because if you do not make the distinctions, and this is why Lou is being so precise trying to make the distinctions he's making. If you don't do this, you fall into the trap of the Pharisees. You right. fall into legalism. Right. And you're going, well, I don't want to be like that. No, I, I get that. You don't want to. But you're going to if you're not careful. Right. And what legalism tries to do is it adds conditions to your faith and salvation because it does not make the fine distinction as to what your entrance in the kingdom is. So, if you do not persevere, we'll, 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 we'll do uh, pick Lou's brain here. All right. If you do not persevere to the end, will you be saved? If you do not persevere to the end, will you be saved? Well, it says if you persevere to the end, you will be saved. So the opposite is no. So now this is the, that is biblical theology. Right. We would go, yes, you must make it to the end in order to cross the finish line. Right. Legalism would tell you, you will cross the finish line because you're making it to the end. Yeah. You see the subtle distinction in problems. It's, it's very subtle. And, it, and I, I'm admitting that I am, I am splitting a hair here, but right. the hair must be split because if it is not we're talking about the difference between trusting in Christ and walking in faithfulness then we're talking about the difference between that and walking in faithfulness because it will help me trust in Christ and that's a big distinction so well it's it's a well walking in faithfulness sanctification Justification and sanctification are two different they things. They are two different things, and we need to we need to separate those things in our mind because I think that from different walks of faith that we we pull those things together and and we 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 sacrifice one for the other. If you think your sanctification is the condition for your salvation, you have fallen into legalism. You have denied the completed work of Christ. What's Jesus tell you on the cross? It is finished. It is completed. It is done. He has accomplished this. Now, if he has accomplished this and you are walking in him, you have been granted the Holy Spirit. You will, therefore, then persevere to the end. But your perseverance will not be so that you will be saved. It will be because you have been saved. And that's an important thing. Yes, we have to walk to the end. First Peter 1 makes this point. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
So the way we phrase this, and, and my, uh, my men's group loves this declaration because they, they, it makes them feel better. <laughs> you are saved, and you are being saved. Yeah. Now, that's not two different salvations. You have been saved. You are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. But you are not perfected. You are not fully righteous. You are not completely sanctified. That is coming. When that is complete, you will be fully and finally saved. Your yeah. salvation will be complete. In the meantime, though, it will be complete. You got to remember, when Jesus says it is finished, it is accomplished, he's talking about a completed work, mm-hmm. which, which is, again, why you are positionally not guilty. You are positionally holy. You are positionally righteous. You are not actually not guilty. You are not actually righteous. You are not actually holy. You are attaining to those things, even though they are reserved for you, and they will be yours if you walk in Christ. Yeah, that's, that's an important understanding. If you walk in Christ, you will be those things. You will attain to those but things. But you will walk in Christ if you have been justified by Christ. Right. I mean, it goes both ways. I mean, you, you can't follow Christ unless you've been called to him. Exactly. This is, again, why the order was so important and why seeing this rightly is so good. This is why we dealt with assurance, because all of these little adjustments are things that are going to try to pull you away from assurance and get you trusting in something other than you. These are the complicated schemes of Satan. See, don't be on the lookout for the, for the dude in the, in the horns and the pitchfork, like tripping you up in traffic. He doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. He operates in systems and worldviews and philosophies. And one of them is the legalistic mindset. It's his best one. Yeah. I mean, you, you saw it in the, in the New Testament with the Pharisees. That's, that's a form of legalism at work. You can still see it in forms in both Baptistic life. Yeah. You can see it in evangelical churches like Lutheranism and Presbyterianism. Glad you brought that up. Where, where our, the, our liturgy is what carries us along, or our good works are what brings us to completion. No, your good works are the things that show you're walking towards completion. This is the same thing, and this is, these are the schemes of the devil. Right. That, that will drag you down. And they don't attack you by stabbing you in the butt with a pitchfork. They attack you by the... The subtle influence of pride, the subtle desire for good things that become contorted and twisted in your mind and change the right reading of Scripture, the right walking in faith, into the wrong reading of Scripture and the wrong walking in faith. Mm-hmm. So I sit there and think, God's mad at me because I sinned. Are you in Christ? If the answer is yes, then God is not mad at you. He is pleased in Christ, therefore he is pleased in you. Does that make your sin good? No, no, it doesn't. And I didn't say it. I didn't even hint at it. But you are still working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is accomplished. You are justified. But you are still walking to that day. God knows this. He is aware of this. He sees this. His spirit indwells you. It is is working within you. He is not shocked by your sin. It's not like God's sitting there going, I can't believe you did that. Right. No, you are justified in Christ. You are alive in Christ. You are not guilty in Christ. Therefore, God is already pleased. So your sin does not separate you from him. Your sin separates you from the blessings of your holiness. Your sin may separate you from the one another's that you would normally experience because of your shame. Your sin may separate you from a lot of earthly blessings. It may separate you from some of the means of grace that you are no longer partaking in. But it does not and will not and cannot separate you from God because Christ has united you to God in himself. 
Right. And that cannot be split. This is why so many wedding vows end with what? <laughs> what what the, God has God joined, has joined together, together, let no, no man, man tear asunder. Because you can't. Right. And what's the marriage supposed to be? It's supposed to be a picture of Christ uniting to his church. So what God has joined together, you as a man cannot separate. Don't you love how all this stuff comes full circle? Isn't that amazing? It does. It does. That's, that's where good theology comes exactly. in. Exactly. So this yeah. is why we read all of our Bibles, because yeah. it will do you good. Now, we say all of this because that's the lie you get. And now what ends up happening? Well, because I'm afraid and I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of this sin, what do I do? I hide it. I withdraw from those means of grace. I don't take communion. I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. I don't fellowship with other believers. What am I doing now? I'm now robbing myself because of my legalistic mindset of the other benefits of the kingdom here and now that it could be partaking. Does that increase or decrease my sin in this world? It might increase if it's you're not. It's more than likely. Yeah. Go, it's almost a guarantee. It's going to increase. This is yeah. why you're warned: don't forsake the, the assemblies. Yeah. That is good for you. Yeah. You're you're supposed to encourage and spur one another on to good works. This is how we operate. This this is what we do, yo. And this is how we live. You should see the look every time I do That's something great. like that. Lou, Lou is just like, "Who are you? And what have you done with the weird little white boy in front of me?" That's what we do, yo. <laughs> That's how we be. Yeah. So. <laughs> now, now you're seeing where legalism starts to kill you, though, right. because what you're, what you're ultimately saying is I wasn't trusting in Christ. I was trusting in me. Yeah. And then you continue to walk down this road. You withdraw from the people that would call you to account, the people that would point you in the right direction. And next thing you know, you're sitting there going, no, 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 I'm good. I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know that? Well, because I do this. I do that. Dot, dot, dot. Mm. Congratulations, Lloyd Legalist. You just fell into the trap. Yeah. What you need to do is repent and recognize that the answer to the question, well, why are you a Christian? Well, because Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Christ has brought me from death to life, and I stand in him. Oh, yeah? How do you know that? Hmm. Because he's at work in me, and he has changed my heart. He has changed my mind. He has changed my direction, and I rejoice in him. This is your Jonathan Edwards' Religious Affections. If you haven't read Jonathan Edwards' Religious Affections, read Jonathan Edwards' Religious Affections. It will do you good. <laughs> this is what he talks about. It's not ecstatic utterances. It's a heart change. It's a change of who you are, what you desire, and what you long for. And if you can sit here and listen to a 21st century Baptist telling you to read a, what an 18th century Presbyterian, then there's something to this. Right, Because this is the biblical trace that we follow through. This is the exposition that we rejoice in. Now, this is how it works. Because if it doesn't work this way, then you have forsaken Whitfield and you are climbing your, ra your, your ladder made of rope. No, your <laughs> ladder made of sand. There we go. That was Whitfield's cry. I would rather climb a ladder made of sand than try to work my way to heaven. Why? Because... George Whitfield read Romans 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? That Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. The one who does not work, but believes in him who, just, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. See, when you say, I have fallen away because of my sin, what you were saying is, I was drawn near because of my good works. What you're saying is, I am good enough. I am capable. I am, there's a possibility of me getting somewhere. That's what people think. You that missed is, it, though. That is what people think out there. 
I am good. Yeah. I was created good. And they forget about you the fall of man. You have missed the helplessness yeah. that Adam and Eve walk out of that garden because of the grace of God and their trust in his promise. Right. Noah survives the flood because of the grace of God and his trust in God's promise. Abraham is justified because of the grace of God and Abraham's trust in God's promise. Right. This is nothing that they have actively done. This is something that has been acted upon them by God that they have then walked in by the grace of God. Hmm. I'm giving an awful lot of credit to who here? To God. God alone. Yeah. But, I mean, we just need to recognize, though, that people of faith, they do follow what God says to do. Because God has acted and done all of these things. Right. See, again, because he did those the things. The distinction we're making, you're not doing these things so that God will save you. Right. You are walking in sanctification because he already has. Now, Amen. what does this mean Amen for my to life today? Like, okay. You're sitting here looking at your phone going, I got it. I understand your point. I'm not having this problem. Well, you might be closer to having this problem than you think because the, the thing and part of the conversation Lou and I were having before all of this is the world that we see is a world that has lost the concept of God, the goodness of the gospel, and hope in Christ. And part of the reason the world has lost this is because too many, I'm blaming us now, you ready? Too many Christians have not walked faithfully in the right identity. Mm. And what I mean by that is they are not sitting there and identifying themselves in Christ. They're identifying themselves in their good works, and that's a problem. That grieves me. That, uh, that is a poor witness to a lost and dying world. Well, you mentioned earlier, so many people look at the church and say, well, you self-righteous Christians. Wait right. a minute. Our message is literally one of our evil and an alien righteousness. Right. How can you call me self-righteous when I'm literally telling you my righteousness comes from somewhere else? See, if they're, if they're getting self-righteous, we missed something somewhere, or, you know, or we found the one stubborn mule on the planet that's just not going to understand this. Well, I, I think more likely is we've missed something in our proclamation. Maybe we've missed something in our proclamation, but more often than not, when you start to speak the truths that are found in Scripture, immediately a person falls under con condemnation, they feel like you're judging them, and they want to point the finger at you and say, you are not as holy as you think you are. And my answer to that is, yes, you're right. Absolutely. And that is, again, why this is so important, because we've got to have these definitions nailed down to answer that, because that right. charge is coming. We are in Christ. Yeah. That is why we are free. So this is your Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never may be. May it never be. Yeah. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Notice the order there. You were dead. Christ was raised. You are raised in Christ, therefore you are now new. You are no longer walking in your sin, not so that God will raise you, but because he already has. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we will be united in the, we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. This is your justification. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Did you catch that, people? We are slaves to sin. 
outside of Christ's finished work on the cross. We are slaves to it. We but are in, dead. But in Christ, we are alive That's and right. we are free. We are, Which means, yeah. catch this, I do not walk according to my works. I walk according to my God. Right. Which means, why am I good? Well, I'm not good, but Christ is good. The only good that is in me is there because the Holy Spirit has put it there and because of the work that Christ has done on my behalf. Right. So when you're, well, you're self-righteous. No, no, I'm not. I'm terrible at this, and so are you, and that's why we need Jesus. Right. <laughs> that is so good. That is okay. so good. Remember Michael. your caveman theology. Mm-hmm. Me bad. You good. Him good. Yeah. <laughs> me bad, him good. Yeah. Oh, go, go, go. <laughs> Gog, repent now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or is it Og? Maybe it's Og and Gog and Magog. Ooh. Ooh. See what we did there? Oh, here we go. There you go. Bible jokes for a thousand, Alex. No. Shorter version of that, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's one of the first Bible verses that I memorized as a Gideon. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. You are good, not because you are good, but because Christ has declared you good and because Christ is good and you are his and he is yours. And that's just how this goes until the end. Now, where is that end? It's where we now live, which is not supposed to be here. And that's what I'm talking about when I say identity. When we talk about identifying in Christ and walking in your identity in Christ, we're talking about forsaking the world, not loving the things of the world, recognizing that you have an alien righteousness and recognizing that you are not guilty before God because of the work of God, and therefore living and walking in that knowledge and truth, because that is when you actually get your freedom from sin. Not because you won't sin anymore, but because your sin will not tear you down and destroy you. Again, the power of sin for, uh, the power of sin over the believer is not to separate him from God again, but it's to separate him from the blessings of God and the work of the kingdom. Yeah. See, you will in, suffer loss if you continue to walk that way. It is but, because we are no longer yeah. keeping the means of grace, fellowshipping with one another, praising, worshiping, singing, praying, reading our Bible. It is because we are not doing that that we begin to live more and more like the world. Now, warning, if you're capable of drifting all the way back to the world, you went out of us because you were not of us. But I'm talking about those yo-yo Christians, the ones that keep coming back and keep drifting away. It's because their identity has not been realized. They are not walking as they've been raised up with Christ, Colossians 3, seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. What are we to do? Set your mind on the things above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. See again, you're Mm -hmm. dead, raised in him. Mm -hmm. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. We have a blessed hope, a hope of a resurrection with our Lord. This is how that always works. And the world doesn't understand this because they're still under judgment. They have missed the fact that the judgment is coming and that it has been poured out on Christ if they would walk in him. If they won't walk in him, i got bad news for you. It's going to be poured out on you, which is, again, why this is so important. Because if you are not having your identity rightly defined in Christ, if you are not walking in faithfulness because he has saved you, then the wrath of God doesn't abide on Christ. It abides on you. You. And that's a problem. What's, again, the warning? I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, big fancy word, means to turn away (laughs) wrath. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. That's your 1 John 2, 1 and 2. You have the advocate because you have the one with the Father walking and demonstrating and 
proclaiming on your behalf. Therefore, you have hope. You are raised up with him, seated with Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2. You are set right because of the work of Christ. This is how and why we walk. Now, I feel like we've covered it. I think we have. This has been pretty good. I was going to say, I've got a couple more things to try to go through, but I think at this point we have beat the horse. It's dead. You know it's dead. We know it's dead, and you get this. So I'm going to ask the question of the day. What have we learned today, children? (laughs) God will judge sin, either in you or in Christ. In Christ, we are not guilty. And in Christ, we are not only not guilty, we are righteous. Therefore, we walk in our identity, which is Christ and Christ-like, not because we will be saved, but because we have been saved. Right. Or maybe I should say, not so that we will be saved, but because we have been saved. All right. Anything else? I think we've covered it. Right. If you're mad at me for some reason, or you're mad at Lou, although can't imagine why, mm-hmm. um, info at practicaltheologyministries.com. You can send your questions, comments, and complaints. We will read them, then file them, and respond if we you know, feel it's worthy. And if we don't, then we'll just file them and be done with it. Yeah. I'm so encouraging, aren't I? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So in the meantime, until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.